podcast exploring a new era for the high street. We celebrate independent business and bricks and mortar retail across the UK, those who are shaking things up on their local high streets and who believe in the potential of our town and city centres. I'm your host, Alexandra. Welcome along. Oh, hello there. Hello, hello. A very warm welcome to Series 5 and after a longer break than anticipated. I am super delighted to be back and what a series I have for you. This year I have been wanting to expand the reach of the podcast, telling stories from the rest of the UK and hear from other retailers, experts and organisations working around the high street and I'll be doing just that. I have some fascinating stories and insights to share with you. I can't wait to be honest. Now as I was recording the series one thing that really began to emerge was the theme of storytelling. Whether that be through the very literal sense in terms of speaking to booksellers to explore their role in our lives or to other retailers to ask how what we buy tells a story about ourselves and our lives. Or, as with today's guest, to discuss how high streets tell their own stories by how they look and through the things they've witnessed over the years and how we capture and share these stories to help us shape our future. This week then, I'm delighted to be in conversation with Ellen Harrison, Head of Creative Programmes and Campaigns for Historic England, as we explore their High Street Cultural Programme, which celebrates the wealth of stories and tales that are embedded in their high streets. Ellen talks about how they've been working closely with communities, artists, photographers, poets, and so many more to take a snapshot of high streets now, celebrate and uncover stories of the past, and help us reimagine where we could be going next. This is such a fascinating chat and Ellen speaks so eloquently and so interestingly about the programme and will get you really inspired. There's a lot of brilliant resources on Historic England's website if you feel so inclined with events, podcasts, sound walks, there's beautiful photography there. There's so much to explore and particularly brilliant if you're having a staycation this year, as many of us will be doing. As ever, we'd love to know your thoughts. You can get in touch on Instagram at Independent Thinking Podcast or via email. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy and it's brilliant to be back. Ellen, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. I really appreciate you joining me for the our first recording, actually, of the new series, which is a really exciting day, always. <laughs> so thank you. It's a pleasure. Um, so tell, if you could explain a bit more about, in your own words, of, of what the High Street Culture Programme for Historic England is all about. Yeah, sure. So the cultural programme was kind of born out of this really ambitious regeneration project which focuses on historic high streets that are conservation areas so they're designated as conservation areas in England Um, and there are regeneration programs across the country um, and particularly around high streets but what's really unique about this one is that it weaves in cultural activity as well as community engagement, using culture as a way to engage the people who live and work and play in and around high streets. Um, and the other thing that's unique about this program is it's it's the biggest scale that it's ever been done on before. So it's the largest community-led cultural program ever, uh, I think, mm. uh, certainly kind of around the public realm and and the environments that we place ourselves in um and it lasts for four years as well 
so it finishes in 2024. So we're halfway through. Um, So it's a really ambitious, big project program and it has community at its heart and it has culture. And I think what's so interesting about the cultural program at large is how we've seen it evolve because of things like the pandemic, but also I feel there's this um, increasing interest and kind of cottoning on, if you like, to the idea that culture can help with place shaping and place making, that it can become this agent for change um, in lots of more nuanced and subtle ways than perhaps more straightforward public consultation on a change to place can be. It's a bit more soulful and I think people respond to it in uh, accordingly. So the cultural program is there uh, to connect people to their place, um, but in ways that are really exciting and and we explore with people and we build with people. I love that because, I mean, typically consultations of any kind are not, they're not lively and they're Uh not engaging. I mean, that's that's no, you know, no shade. But having worked in kind of public realm projects before, Mm -hmm. you're thinking, gosh, how do we make this exciting? And how can we bring it to life in a Mm. way that particularly about high streets, which are really at the very epicenter of towns and cities and but also the um the, the real lifeblood often mm. of, of a community so there's different aspects to this and we talk about the kind of culture aspect what kind of um what aspects of this program are there to it if you yeah talk us through because it's really interesting multimedia kind of projects that you're working with and artists and all of that isn't it to tell these stories yeah so I think what's important to say first of all is that culture is how people locally define it so there isn't a kind of message from on high that it must be a particular kind of medium or art form Mm. Um, so it's really really important to say that and the cultural program is probably best thought of split into two distinct parts so um the biggest, the biggest element of this, in ter- certainly in terms of funding, is that each of the high streets that we work with on this programme, it's more than 60, each have a pot of grant funding that we give to local communi- um, cultural and community-led organisations in that place. And our philosophy is that um, people working in those organisations locally know those places best and they know the best way to spend that money to the best effect. So um, they set out a program across the four years and we grant funded for that program. Um, And as I say, that's kind of the bulk of the funding, but we reserved um, around a million for this program of national commissions and they uh, intersect with the with the local programs but i think if we had left out a national program of commissions the the program had the potential to be quite disparate so why mm. does somebody in hexham in northumberland for example really care what's happening in redruth in cornwall um, mm. whereas if we're able to take um a national program of commissions were able to have that kind of much richer conversation. And I think actually, you know, it would be a shame we'd be cutting off a conversation with a lot of people who don't happen to live or work near the 60 odd high streets that we're operating in with this cultural Mm. program as well. And it was important to us, you know, like you said it yourself, high streets are often the lifeblood. They're often a barometer to the way that Mm. people feel about their local area. They're a real, um, 
Well, a shop window, if you'll forgive the, the pun, <laughs> they are a shop window into the kind of uh, the state of, of that place. And um, and so, yeah, it's a national issue and I think it deserves national commissions as well. And one of the things that was really important to us as an organisation was that we had a framework of how these commissions would come about. So they had to be locally led and co-created with people. We didn't want just we didn't want it to be an artist coming in with a ready-made idea and kind of just dropping it onto a high street. Mm, mm. Um, we wanted the work to be representative of the people who who live there and the and the local identity. That's something that's really important to us as an organisation. Is celebrating local identity and local character of a place mm. um, and finally we wanted it to be diverse as well we wanted it to kind of tell multitudes of stories not just one mm. um, and it was really important to me as well that we had different art forms because I wanted it to appeal to as many people as possible um, mm. and different art forms reach of course reach different people but they also just have different appeal um, Next year in the summer of 23, we're going to be doing a, a, a really ambitious outdoor arts uh, project um, oh. across seven different high streets. And outdoor arts, for example, is kind of proven to reach more people. It's mm. a really accessible form of art. Um, and that's why quite a lot of the work that we've done on the National Commission in particular, um, they happen in the places where people already are or mm. Maybe yes. not quite so much there at the moment, given footfall on high streets is down, but the places that people wouldn't feel intimidated to go to if they knew something was happening. So yes. it's about removing that threshold that so often cultural organisations um, struggle with, the idea mm. of, you know, a museum or a gallery or an, an opera house, you know, being this yeah. intimidating place to be, whereas a high street, I think for most people is a pretty democratic space and one that yeah. people feel comfortable to be in, although yeah. of course not not always. And then, and yeah, sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, I think there's a really interesting conversation about how we repurpose some of the buildings on our high street, yeah. you know, in terms of using them as cultural <clears throat> spaces for future, because I think that's so interesting. You know, I mean, there's another conversation to be had about how do we make traditionally said with inverted commas cultural places more feel more welcoming for as many people as possible but it's really interesting idea of like well let's go where people are and yeah. you're right it's food falls down but how about we use this as another way to get back people back into the it's nice you think it's really interesting yeah yeah I think people mm. kind of have this fairly you know, short-term view that high streets are and have always been about retail. And of course they are, there, there are shops on them. We know that, but high streets are more than retail. They're meeting places, they're landmarks, they're places for us to come together as communities. And I think as consumer expectation leans more towards experience, you know, what is going to, what is going to differentiate online shopping from in real life shopping? It's the experience, yeah. it's the interaction, it's that personal touch um, and all of that yes may happen in a retail space but is about connecting as humans and I think uh, you know culture is another way that we can connect in 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 ways and I and I love the idea that we could use empty shops as kind of galleries and museum spaces and spaces for people to kind of come and use in communal ways um, 
yeah, maybe one day all high streets will be museums and galleries. Who knows? I love that. Yeah. And and artists creating work and yeah, really Mm. interesting. And just to pick up on your point there about the different mediums that you're using, I think Mm. what's really interesting, not only does that help the project appeal to as many people as possible, but also they tell stories in different ways. And I think there's something really special about, you know, um, a photography exhibition and how that documents or um, a moment in time or a specific story of a high street versus an audio experience and some of the the podcasts and the the tales that you tell and people can then explore on their own which again is very different and they can contemplate have time to themselves to think about things versus like you say an exhibition in the street which is almost like a quite collective experience where you could be talking to other people about it or you know experiencing things together so yeah, it's really interesting that you've got these different aspects to it. I think that's just in terms of storytelling, isn't it? Yeah, actually. And I think storytelling is the word with this whole program. It is about weaving narratives and stories and collective memories and histories, but not just a kind of nostalgic look back, but about a kind of, you know, the past couple of years have forced us to start looking and reevaluating and really looking at what we value and actually we we did some research and found within the survey that we did that 50% of people felt more connected to their local high street since the lockdowns because of course it follows that people are looking at what's on their doorstep far more mm. um and i think but i think there's something deeper in that in that people are kind of reflecting again around what matters to them and kind of yes people's worlds may have shrunk but they also as a result of that are looking at that in a just in a different light and they've become mm. it's those places have become more important i suppose because people realize that they can't take them for granted like high streets mm. are endangered they are they are on the cusp of real change mm. um and the art forms, as you say, kind of allow people to experience high streets in, in different ways. Um, and, you know, of course, the lockdown did shape some of our commissioning because if you can, if you can't go, if you can't really go out to a high street, then the high street needs to come to you. And that's where quite a lot of the audio commissions came from. But we started the cultural program with, um, I know you're not meant to have favourites, but it is one of my favourites. It's called High Street Tales. And we worked with um, eight different writers, poets, and kind of novelists as well. And they all wrote short stories based on uh, our remit to them, if you like. Our our challenge to them was to, to highlight and discover the everyday magic of uh, of the high streets yeah. and to look at them again and um, they started just before one of the lockdowns and they were they managed to get hold of a few people and interview a few people on the street before before like we were sort of, yeah exactly there was a lot of long-range <laughs> microphones going on um, and but that what they really unearthed from that was was yes a nostalgia but also this real it was really interesting kind of um well, I want to say ethereal response that's mm. really interesting. They didn't compare notes, but they all had elements of kind of ghosts or spirits or echoes from the past. And I think it's wow. just really reflective of the time that we are still in, really. But that particular yeah. time, yeah, there was just so much around kind of, as I say, the echoes of the past and kind of the memories that are steeped in 
the walls and the spaces of our yeah. high streets um and the changing uses of them as well and it and and as and and yeah we then created these kind of audio recordings or a podcast which you could listen to wherever you wanted to but also if you wanted you could be listening whilst you were on that high street as well mm. um and i i just thought it was really interesting that as a body of work it became uh yeah about these echoes of the past um, that's fascinating yeah it was really interesting because they obviously they hadn't compared notes it felt quite like this sort of new folklore if you like of, of high mm. streets mm. which was interesting and then the the other audio that we've done um which was aim was to be much more immersive uh, uh sound walks which we mm. did uh in the summer of 2021 where you could be out more and be a little bit more present yeah (laughs) so we celebrated that and um we yeah we launched it as part of heritage open days but i should say that all of these commissions are still available to access through historic england's website just go to the cultural program pages and they're there for you um and the immersive sound walks, I do really, really love them. I think there's one in particular, which is a stand-up for me, which is of um, Whitefriar Gate in Hull. And it's mm-hmm. by an artist called Jez Riley French. And he he is a sound artist. And he, I think, is a real magician in the way he layers sounds. And I genuinely I there's a part where there are seagulls and I really like looked behind me because I thought there was a seagull (laughs) behind me in the room all of a sudden like it's just an incredible it is truly immersive and and again Mm. these stories were co-created with local people they're like it's a telling of local stories and folklore um but they really did get you to look again at the um at the buildings around you and and again the whole one you even hear the sound of the weeds growing like the roots wow. drinking up water and things so I don't know about you but I've never thought about the weeds that grow on a high street until I until I listened to that so I think oh. those audios they're quite private um pieces they're quite private pieces to listen to mm. Mm. you kind of in a very good way allow yourself to kind of go in to yourself and mm. um and and have quite an intimate experience with your high street mm. actually if that mm. doesn't sound too off-putting yeah. I think it <laughs> I think it connects you to the place in a way um it 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 forces you by the nature of audio recordings it forces you to stop and to pause and to slow down and really drink in your surroundings mm. and I think that that makes for um a really unique experience. Mm, that's fascinating because I think, I mean, I think something about the high street as well is that, you know, there's spaces that we feel very familiar with. And if it is, if you are listening to see a, a recording or an artist's interpretation or, uh, you know, a, a piece whilst walking down a high street that you're familiar with, but to then hear, hear aspects of it or think about aspects of it that you've never imagined, mm. adding that layer of depth, isn't it? It's mm. really fascinating. And it's to, to kind of, breathe new life into spaces where you think oh actually I've walked in the street thousands of times and yet having this interpretation of it's really fascinating I think that's really yeah really interesting and I think also it's important for these commissions like that we want them to be celebratory and we want them to help Mm. people rediscover the pride uh, that they have in these places Um, you know of course we know I'm realistic I know high streets at the moment across 
all of Britain are, they're not looking great. You know, there are lots of empty shops. We know mm-hmm. that they feel like depressed places at times. And I think another thing that culture can do is to, as we saw in the pandemic as well, actually, is to really help people um, to get through those difficult times and and yeah. to be celebratory and to be uplifting. Um, and I hope that I hope that these commissions do that, even in, in small ways. So. I love that. So, so thinking about how the pandemic kind of shaped the the program as a whole, and not simply, you know, thinking about. Oh, I mean, simply like it was really easy, like not simply <laughs> just the logistics of it. But when, in terms of the topics, because I think yeah. what's really interesting is just as exactly as you say beautifully, you know, the pandemic really shifted how our relationships with our high street, our locality, our sort of well, with anything within a five mile radius, mm. we sort of. So perhaps it, yeah, it shrunk our worlds, but perhaps it deepened our relationship mm. in a way, you know, mm. in that engagement. And I'm really curious. It sounds as though you didn't um, go in to the programme with a sort of agenda. It was more about sort of ensuring that, yeah, really making sure that it was a, a collaborative process with the communities that you worked with. But how did that, did, were there some sort of surprises or maybe thinking, oh, actually, there are different stories to tell now that, than perhaps when we first thought about this, when we thought about, yeah, this project as a whole and how that evolved as you, as you kind of went through the pandemic? Yeah, I think I think that is, and I think it's still playing out now. Um, you know, we're still going on in, until twenty twenty four, and um, mm. so I think it's still very much kind of we're still in the flux from it. And um, so, one of the things, you know, to just rest momentarily on the practical side of things was mm. um, that because we had to do a lot of things on. on through online or the artists did rather they, they got to a point where people just had complete fatigue from doing things online oh, you know yeah. I think we all remember don't we like the zoom quizzes and things like that <laughs> and 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 actually the same was true for the commissions as well and uh and of course mm. you cut out a whole section of people who don't have access digital access as, as much mm. as well so just I think you know we had to move things online but people tired of that quite quickly and you didn't and I think one of the things again you asked about how the pandemic might have changed things is the the richness of face-to-face human connection Mm. that people Mm. really really crave and um we did something last summer as well called Twin Towns, where artists kind of unofficially twinned towns together that had something that connected them. Yeah. So Wigan and Blackpool were connected by this history of kind of dance and nights out and oh, kind wow. of being out on the town. And um, although we were still emerging from lockdowns and the pandemic then, so we couldn't really do live performances in the way that we would want we were able, or rather the artist was able to work with local dance groups and to kind of bring that out. And um, I think people responded really favourably to that kind of opportunity to sort of start to gently and safely uh, get out and do things again. Um, And I think more generally, what we're seeing away from the National Commission, but with the local work as well, is a kind of quite thoughtful, you know, there is this shift where I guess through kind of, it sounds, it sounds quite boring, but like risk management of mm. like, if you've got these this money to spend in a certain amount of time, how can you make sure the project doesn't get upended by another lockdown or being, or yeah. lots of people suddenly in on the team having COVID. So what we're starting to see are kind of 
lots of artist in residence programs. Um, mm. Talking to um, talking to Leeds earlier today, there are two artists in residence that are really exploring what is quite a short, like in terms of length, high street mm. in. Um, in Leeds and ex- and really uncovering really fascinating history that's happened in this kind of you know less than a mile stretch of buildings around mm. the history of performance and LGBTQ plus history and um, just really things that you would not tell if you walked down that street and I think yeah so there's this kind of I think a drive for there to be kind of individual solo artists in residence but not isolated so Mm. um the artist might be there and they can adapt to the changing circumstances of who this week may have to be isolating because they have covid or you know or or that kind of thing but they're they're there as storytellers they are there to be like a conduit to tell the stories of the history of that place and the people the communities that live there so I think that's been a shift in response to the pandemic. What I'm curious about as well you you touched upon earlier I wanted to pick up on your point about um, nostalgia because I think I think I I suppose a lot of people would associate um you know, historic England or historic environment Scotland or historic Wales, I'm guessing, is, is your Cadu. equivalent. In- Cadu is the equivalent. Oh, thank you. Yes. And what's the Northern Irish? Can, is there Northern Irish? There isn't a separate, um, I can um, find the the exact one, but it's it, it sits within the government department in Northern Ireland. Yeah. I see. Because I suppose a lot of people would think that it is about documenting the past mm. and about sort of making sure that we preserve the past. Mm. And actually, what's really interesting about the high street, uh, and when you were talking, um, a story reminded me, you remind me of, um, there was a piece about, I think it was um, John Lewis in Bournemouth. Mm-hmm. And I think they had to close during the lockdown. Of course, so many people had worked there for decades yeah and not only that but people had shopped there for decades and they had real attachment and stories but they couldn't say goodbye to Mm -hmm. the staff Mm. or to the store and there was a lot of um a grief actually Mm. surrounding that Mm. and I think there's a lot of I mean that's yeah another I suppose another route to go down because this is so rich it's such a rich area of discussion in terms of our our grief and kind of um what we're losing Mm. but I I love this idea of um actually you're taking a sort of snapshot of where we're at or the kind of how communities feel at the moment or so can you tell us a little bit about actually historic England's role in not just documenting or looking after preserving the past and making sure that we honour where we've come from but where we're at and where we're going yeah I think that's it's an understandable and common misconception that organisations like Historic England or Historic Environment Scotland are there to preserve things in aspic uh, and we're not uh, we're there <laughs> um we 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 are absolutely about conservation and i think we would say that very proudly we want to conserve the historic character and the yeah the individuality of the different places that we have across across england in 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 my organization's case um and also there's lots of really, really solid economic arguments around how the historic environment contributes towards um, towards local economies um, mm. in terms of destinations for people to visit. We've also done research that shows that businesses are more likely to want to be in historic buildings, listed buildings with more character because ah. they feel that that supports their brand and attracts shoppers. So, of course, there's the aesthetic of here is a 
beautiful old historic building that we want to care for and look after. But there is also real evidence to show that the historic environment supports local economies really, really well. And I think what's certainly in in England, what's coming through a lot at the moment is the levelling up Mm, um, mm. policies. You know, this is a really, really big, you know, UK wide um, mm. policy and, and leveling up. It's really fascinating. Yes, of course, leveling up is about infrastructure and it's about improving and leveling up the economies of places that have been, mm-hmm. um, to, to some people, the phrase is left behind. But there mm. is also a huge cultural strand within leveling up as well in terms of its policy, which mm. is around, um, and yes, of course, culture is arts museums, music, the the art Mm. forms we've been talking about, but within the government's definition, culture is also heritage as well and the built environment. Mm. And that is about creating creative economies and artistic economies, but it is also about um, the effect that the historic environment has on people to to either drive visitors to Mm. destinations, um, to, yeah, to essentially help us feel better when we're in these historic environments that are looked after and mm. and um and cherished and i think for me one of the things as well and again perhaps you know even more so now i think i loved your phrase about our world shrunk but they also deepened is mm. this connection to place and mm. you might and I, and i really passionately believe that you don't need to know anything about the history of a place in order to know again as i mentioned with the high street tales about the echoes of past like you can mm. you don't need to know the facts or the dates um mm-hmm. you know you don't you don't need to have any knowledge but you can come and stand in a place mm-hmm. and feel its weight if you like and feel its mm-hmm. history and mm-hmm. um i i don't think that's to be underestimated that's the other thing around the historic environment is about the character of a place using that as one of the jumping off plate points mm-hmm. for um how people locally would like to see the future of their place panning out and i think one of the things yeah historic england is we're of course, want to conserve the past, but we we want it to kind of inform the future of mm. a place mm. rather than there being this kind of complete like divorced reality where you either have a kind of chocolate box, really, yeah. you know, beautifully preserved village, or you have a completely brand new sort of set of tall buildings in a city. Like, you know, it's much yeah. more nuanced than that. Mm. Um, and I think it's, I think it's, I really like the idea of places kind of having different chapters to them, but each mm. chapter, you know, they, they link yeah. to each other. It's still a narrative over time. Um, and the cultural program, and I mentioned, you know, the community engagement elements of it are really important as well. Mm. That is about, you know, the vast majority of these regeneration schemes are run by the local authorities and it is about mm. them working with local people to inform what they want from these places uh, as mm. well so that it's not simply uh, regeneration in its quite you know perhaps old-fashioned traditional outlook which is mm-hmm. improve some shop fronts you know yeah. tidy yeah, up yeah. a bit and yeah. and the rest will happen naturally this is about um, yeah about conversation and about bringing more people in and engaging more people in place yeah. as well. It's really interesting I mean there's like a huge I was going to say reckoning, I guess, about where what what's going to happen with our not uh, with our towns and city centres. Not simply as 
recreation or places to gather or places to chop or whatever but actually you know thinking about um how we move our own spaces and thinking actually about our route to net zero really thinking about kind of the the movement of a space and Mm -hmm. how that's going to change if because if we're thinking about city centers i mean places that were developed in the 60s mm. really about you know the, the car being king mm-hmm. and i kind of and now we're thinking well th- i mean that's not gonna we can't really do that for much longer in yeah. terms you know so thinking about how do we then create space we've got a real opportunity here to then not you know really be quite bold and uh, really reimagine how our spaces could look and I think it's that we're really having to shake up all shake off all the ideas of what we had in the past and really just think this could be this could be something really quite different of how we use our spaces now you know and I think I think there's just a tremendous opportunity there Um, and it'd be wonderful if um, the government really sees that in terms of this leveling up agenda Mm. that would be wonderful if this is a real you know for the 21st century where are we going next? Yeah, mm. it's a real step change. And you mentioned mm. there around um, kind of uh, high streets being transformed in the 60s and kind of post-war and it being really centred on the car. Yes. And I I think the pandemic is another one of, you know, those. it's, it's, it's the same kind of rebuilding effort yeah. as yeah. a post-war effort with yeah. the pandemic. And I think you know, with great upheaval comes great opportunity to pause and reflect and really look at what how you want the future of spaces to be and 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 yeah. how they should be shaped and and of course it's it's so important that net zero is is worked into that as well and we did um, in September last year we did a call out to the public to ask them what they loved about their high streets and mm. I mean. I guess because they were responding to historic England, a lot of people said that they loved the architecture and the history of a place. But the other Mm. themes that emerged, as well as kind of community connection and meeting with people and that experience, the other thing that emerged was, you know, they really liked green spaces, the greening of high streets. And I think what's really interesting about the Heritage Action Zone programme as a whole is – one of the major kind of measures of success is about whether or not dwell time is increased in these places. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. isn't necessarily about footfall to get in a shop and spend something, some money. Mm-hmm. It's about mm-hmm. how long people spend in these places so that they feel, well, they feel like real places again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think there is a real part to play more broadly around mm greening of spaces I mm-hmm. think also it's really interesting to look at kind of accessible spaces for yeah. everybody yeah. Um, and uh, but you know both in terms of you know hearing or um, or uh, visual impairment but also of course uh, step free access mm. um, and then I think the other thing as well is around spaces for children and family to be to be mm. in you know around yeah. spaces to play in and to spend yeah. time uh, because I think we've probably all experienced seeing, you know, uh, you know, young people who are on a high street walking around because they're just looking for something to do and they want to hang yeah. out together yeah. and imagine what it would be like if that wasn't an intimidating experience and that those young people mm. were welcomed into that space. Mm. And I think, you know, there's a lot, a lot to be said there around um, what we see with kind of a skateboarding community around that and kind Absolutely. of urban environments around that as well and I think Absolutely. that's what's really exciting about the cultural program for me is you might hear the words cultural program and think poetry music art yeah. 
And yes, you should think those, but also you could think about community gardening, skateboarding, um, you know, or having that individual experience of walking along, listening to something that's been recorded. Like it's, it's, it's culture in its broadest, broadest sense. Yeah. I think that's incredible. So interesting. I think particularly around skateboarding and about kind of, um, I think it's, is it called defensive architecture when you've got mm-hmm. these kind of like things on the side of, and they, you see it also to stop um, people sleeping on park benches and all of that. Yeah. It, it would be really, I just, yeah, again, thinking about spaces that are inclusive and as accessible and as welcoming yeah. to as many places as possible. Yeah. You know, I think that's a really positive, a really positive vision of our future and to have communities really at the heart of that in terms of their, um, having a say in it I think that's a really positive really positive uh, thing to go into the future with in terms of thinking about your own relationship with your high street uh, yeah how how has your relationship I guess with your high street evolved just personally I think over your over the few years or over your lifetime yeah it's interesting I I don't think I'm ever going to look at a high street in the same way ever again I think I'm always going to be analyzing them but I think you know it's so interesting I think you could probably ask most people and they will have a very early childhood memory of a high street Mm. you know Mm -hmm. and for me that's I remember uh, there was a co-op I grew up in the suburbs and uh, there was a co-op and um, a, a lady behind the counter gave me a piece of cheese as a little sample you know and I remember being really small and taking that and I think that's kind of probably my first set you know tangible high street memory and um I've always had I worked I I worked in M&S when I was at school and yeah so you know I kind of like yeah I was I was working on the high street and and really noticed the beginning of that decline actually as as out of town Mm. shopping centers kind of came about and Mm -hmm. and you know you start to get online um and I think yeah my relationship with high streets now I'm very lucky in that I live near a very healthy high street with mm. lots, you know, it's an affluent area and it's very like lots of independent shops and people do mm. spend time there. You know, there's there's like a farmer's market on a Saturday and things, you know, it's, nice. it is a yeah. space, but I also am acutely aware of how, um, how privileged that is and how affluent that is. And it's not everyone's experiences. And actually, um, so I live in Bristol, and uh, where I, and if you go into Bristol city centre, there are a lot of empty shops there now. Mm-hmm. And I think my relationship with that kind of high street. So again, going back to M&S, a, a big, mm. big real landmark M&S closed. Mm. And you talked before about that kind of grief of these places that, mm. you know, people really kind of orientated themselves around. Um, yeah. And that's certainly, I think, the case for the for the MS that I'm thinking of. And so now when I go in those places, I'm thinking about what will that place be one day? You know, what what, yeah. what could we fill that space with? And how mm-hmm. could we welcome everyone in into that space to yeah. uh, to animate it again and to surprise yeah. and delight people as well? Totally. Um, 
so yeah, I have a, I have, a, I think I have a complex relationship with high streets <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really interesting. And like, like, like you say, like many of us do. I mean, I wonder if it would go the same way. And M and S in um, Marble Arch in London has it's going to be knocked down and mm. make space for you know, um, kind of mixed use. And I think that again, that's really interesting. And I think in terms of like, or thinking about like John Lewis in terms of, well, we'll do rental properties and we're going to fill it full of John Lewis furniture. And I think there's, it's definitely going to have to people are gonna yeah have to be bold have to think differently yeah it feels as though I must admit there's definitely times where you think about some of the the kind of and what was the sort of um inspiration for the beginning of this podcast was looking at this the the kind of the huge hitters you know the big names in the high street and thinking they haven't evolved fast enough like mm. no wonder I mean Arcadia it's not really a surprise because mm. if you they're sort of like the dinosaurs of they weren't really thinking it was like the music industry when streaming happened yeah. and then suddenly it was like 20 years later they caught up you're like well we've moved on yeah. things are changing yeah um and it's hard lessons to be to be to be learned I think mm. um but yeah there's definitely it's really interesting I, I love I love this idea of this sort of a uh, did you say ethereal like a, it's like a sort of um this ethereal mm-hmm. feeling of like and being just feeling a sense of a, a story of a place mm-hmm. by arriving there mm. and there's a lot there's a lot of said about how ubiquitous high streets are across the country but actually they're not as you I think they've all got stories to tell and they've all got histories they've all got futures they've all got presents that are very different and I think that that's so wonderful about a project like this is it's really about celebrating that and documenting it and exploring it um in more detail which I think is really interesting how do we find out more so we can head to your website is that right we can mm-hmm. sort of listen to the stories yeah. and yeah we, 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 tell us more about yeah where would we where can go from here yes yeah, so you can just search for historic england online um and then you know the high street cultural program pages will come up there's a map there where you can see projects from the past that are kind of uh, dotted around the country and also i would look out for some things that are coming fairly soon so later on this year we have a really big project called picturing england's high streets which is about um taking that quite literally that snapshot recording the high street at a moment in time as it is going through this change um but trying to capture kind of what the high street means to people as well visually and we're going to be Mm. doing um a call out to the public to ask them to take pictures as well and we're going to kind of create this big digital Mm. archive of what the high street is uh for people and kind of asking people to show us how they see their high streets as well and um yeah so that's something to look out for but as I say all of the commissions past and present you can access them all online on the cultural program pages and yeah I'd love for people to delve in and and take a look oh I love that and and learn something because I must admit my English geography it's better having now you've got family in England, but I think it's the story. I mean, I had no idea. I, I knew Blackpool's relationship with the dancing and kind of oh, like yeah. no idea about Wiggins. Wiggins, really. Northern you know, Soul. Yeah. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, the okay. Ed- I'll probably get in trouble. There'll probably be Northern Soul fans that'll be like, it's not Wigan. <laughs> Wigan is very, very famous centre for uh, for Northern Soul as well. Fascinating. Oh, well, a wonderful way to kind of find out more about England's. Yeah, another side of it, like another kind of side of um, 
different cities and different towns that we don't hear so much in the same way that you you know there'll be ones in Scotland I think it's always the big ones I mean I'm staying in Edinburgh so I feel like we get a lot we get a lot of attention um thank you so much for your time today Ellen it's been an absolute joy to speak to you and it just seems yeah I can't wait to explore uh yeah everything that's kind of coming up in the next couple of years it's been great to talk to you too thank you so much Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd highly recommend popping back to Series 3 and listening to our episode with the 20th Century Society as we explore what becomes of our department store buildings and how we can preserve them for future generations. Join us next week when we'll be speaking to the beautiful stationers, Papersmiths, who have branches in London and in Brighton. We'll be talking risk-taking, creative approaches to problem-solving in retail and how shop owners can respond to the locality. And don't forget, if you want to support the making of this podcast, I would love it if you joined us on Patreon for as little as £3.50 a month. You'll get behind-the-scenes content, shout-outs, little snippets of what's coming up, and of course my eternal gratitude, which I believe to be worth at least the price of a coffee. Until then, have a wonderful week, and I'll see you soon. Bye for now.